Hello, everybody. This is the Chocolate News Podcast. I'm your co-host, John Alexander Reese. And if you don't know, the Cincinnati Herald has been around since 1955 and is the leading African-American-owned newspaper in the greater Cincinnati area and the northern Kentucky area. Today, we have with us our co-host, digital correspondent, Andrea Carter. How's it going, Andrea? Fine, John. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. And today, we have our special guest, Gwen McFarland, Chair of the Hamilton County Board of Elections. How are you doing today, Gwen? Doing fantastic. The day after November the 2nd. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. November 2nd was certainly a big day in Cincinnati and in other cities Absolutely. as well. So, Andrea, what's the chocolate news of the week, which is probably, well, you guys probably already know what the chocolate news is, but tell us, Andrea. Well, um, I would say the chocolate news is, is all of the elections that occurred not just here in Cincinnati, but around the country. I'll, I'll start out with locally, we, Cincinnati made history in many, many ways of they first elected the first Asian specific mayor, um, not only in Cincinnati, but in the entire Midwest. So we made history that way. There is a majority of black candidates that will become council members, which is the first time this has ever happened in Cincinnati. We've had a majority I think they said, well, I should say this is the first time in a long time, we had a majority in 2011, which held for a little while, but was going to see what happens with this majority this time with first-time candidates. Also, we had first-time candidates who won judge, um, who won, who led off on the school board race. And, and it looks like, you know, just a lot of firsts were happening around the country as well. That's great. Now, I believe there are five Black candidates in city council. Am I correct? Yes, there, there were five, and it's unbelievable of Jan Michelle Women Kearney, who we, we need to state outright that she is the co-owner of the Cincinnati Herald, but who was appointed to a council seat over a year ago and ran for the first time to retain her council seat, and she dominated the race, which caught everybody off, off, caught everybody off my guard, I would say, um, which was fantastic to watch. Because you never know, you know, how you resonate with people when you're out there campaigning, because everyone was working hard campaigning in this era of COVID. Everyone had to do things differently. I mean, there are a lot more ads on television, direct mail. There were a lot of billboards around the city that um, because a lot of people were really couldn't go door to door and talk to people all the time. But the only incumbent was Greg Landsman, but elected is Jan Kearney, Reggie Harris, Mika Owens, Victoria Parks, and Scotty Johnson. Those are the five that will make up the majority of, of, of council members who are Black this time around. There will only be one Republican, which is Liz Keating, but she's very moderate in her approach to governing. She's very open to ideas, and she believes in diversity. She's a conservative in a way, but also she believes in the people and neighborhoods as well. It, it's going to be interesting to watch this council. Um, going forward. And um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Aftab Purval, he won the mayoral race. And he, you know, again, he made history as the first Asian Pacific to be elected as mayor, but he's not the only one of color who made history in a mayoral race around the country. In Boston, Michelle Wu won the mayor spot. Um, she's the first Asian Black woman to win there. Eric Adams, he is the second Black to win the mayoral elect, become elected mayor in New York City. Ed Ganey, he became mayor, he was elected mayor um, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. 
And um, Abdullah Hammond was elected the first Arab, Arab American mayor um, in Dearborn, Michigan. And Ken, I believe his name is Ken Welch. He also is the first black mayor of St. Petersburg, Florida. So there were a lot of firsts made last night, but I think what's going to be interesting is what is the message the voters are sending to not only their own respective communities, but what is it saying nationally that these people of color are being elected in seats that are normally held by white males? Andrew, what was the voter turnout for Cincinnati? I let's see, Hamilton County was 26%, and I believe the city was 24%, but I think Gwen can confirm that for me. That's true, 26.12% for overall for the whole county. Okay, even though I would want that to be higher, <laughs> uh, it shows that Black people and other people of color, color are coming out and voting, so, you know, voting for their, you know, for their representation, so that's good. I'm trying to put a silver lining on that. Well, the, I, I should introduce Gwen. Um, yes, since we yes, heard definitely, talk. definitely. So, um, <laughs> Gwen McFarland, who is the chair of the Hamilton County Board of Elections, is joining us tonight to talk about the impact of this election on the city and also what's going on around the country. Thank you. Gwen, what, what was your take about the race, about the, all the elections last night? I was very, uh, you never know inevitably what it's going to look like, how it's going to run, and what the turnout is going to be. I was um, always prepared for the unexpected. Uh, I am so glad to see, even though I expected the turnout to be close to 35, was praying that it would, but it was at 26.12. I knew that with the coordinated campaigns, and I also knew with the early slate, early voting that we had at the Hamilton County Board of Elections and the absentee ballots uh, that we were trying to encourage individuals to complete and return. And uh, I was I was amazed. I was I was very pleased with the outcome. We, as the Hamilton County Board of Elections, worked diligently to find and recruit kids to be uh, helping in, in the polls inside working uh, called Kids Voting and also poll workers inside and outside trying to engage the community in uh, being much more proactively involved in the voting process in an off-year election. That's something that we still have to work on, uh, but as the chair of the Hamilton County uh, Democratic Party, the coordinated campaign efforts paid off. This is about the sixth coordinated campaign uh, program that we've had uh, using the slate card as the key. And uh, it, it works. It works if everybody's able to work in a united form fashion and work together as a team. It was the teamwork that made the dream work. So I'm, I'm very excited about the outcome. In terms of the voter turnout, I was surprised mm -hmm. the West Side did not show up as usually it's a very strong voting block that affects the outcome of the city of all city races. But to last night, they seem to be um, stopped in the tracks. Is there did, did a lot of people come out and vote from the West Side or no? Or do you know? From what I could could see, and that is, as I said, we just finished our election last night. 
But in looking at the interactive graph, it appears that there was a higher turnout on the east side of town of, of Hamilton County and uh, then on the west side. So it's not real clear yet why the, the turnout appears to be less in the western side of town, but it appears clearly that that seems to be the situation. I have to go and do a deeper dive into looking at precinct by precinct, looking at, I did just kind of a brief overview and I was astonished to look at and see, which reflects the outcome, the number of registered voters in each precinct throughout the city and those who actually cast their ballots last night. It, there's a major difference. It has a lot still to do with this being quote, which I dislike this term, an off-year election. This is a very critical election because this is the only time that we get to actively participate in our local government and elect those elected officials that reflect your neighborhoods, your communities, talking about villages as well, as far as council members, trustees, and the turnout uh, just is not good from my perspective. Yeah, I mean, the turnout has been low for a while. And I mean, it's not just here, it's across the country that various yeah. areas have seen low turnout. I know I was talking with a friend about the turnout in West Palm Beach, and they were complaining about the lack of turn, the low turnout. I mean, we did yeah. better than they did. They had, they were looking at about, I believe they told me 16%, and here we beat them by 10 points with 26%. Oh my goodness. And, oh, that's I mean, terrible. Yeah, it is terrible. And I'm just wondering, is it because we're still in a pandemic um, or are or, 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 or voters nationally burnt out by what happened with the last presidential election. I mean, what we went through under the last administration and what we have going on during this administration and the fact that we have one party wanting to govern, one party wanting to stop the other party from governing. Are people being burnt out and turned off that they just don't want to participate or are they taking orders from someone to say, don't vote this time, but vote next time? I think there's, a, from my perspective, they're still recovering from the presidential election. And I think just there's so many dynamics involved with our culture today. We've got the pandemic, we've got issues, uh, controversial issues that relating to false and theories, you know, that are not true and people are just somewhat confused. We have to, to try to stay focused on what the facts are versus the fake news. And people, you know, people don't even listen to the news the way they used to. But they are listening more, as you just outlined too, Andrea, more of the, not the local, but across the state, what's happening in all of the states of the United States. But they're, they're still slow to respond locally here and, and not just here, everywhere as well. Well, I mean, it, it's kind of like watching the governor's race. I mean, a lot of people have looked at the Virginia race as a referendum for the midterm elections. Um, and even though that was a close race with the Republicans winning, but in New Jersey, it was also a close race, but the Democrats prevailed and Dale Murphy was reelected. Between those two races, what is the message that each party has to take away from this? Well, let's, let's take a moment to look at our local race. Look at the look at the newly profiles of the newly elected officers. You're, you see 
younger individuals. It seems to me that our the voters are saying we uh, we want to change the old guard and bring in the new guard because things seem to be in, in a lockdown, you know, with the older guard. I mean, as we look at those those two or three candidates that had been in held office previously in city council, you were, they were trying to figure out, you know, could they come back and resurrect city council? Well, the voters said no. We want new people with fresh ideas to see if they can preserve and move our city forward from 2022 and beyond. So it's, 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 it's interesting. The makeup truly reflects the 52 neighborhoods that we have here in, uh, in the city of Cincinnati as well as in the county. So there's, there's still some work to be done, but I think that the younger population is saying that we want to be heard and we've given, you know, we think it's time for us to, to move in and be able to be part of this decision-making process to move our city forward. Yeah, but we have a hard time getting our young people out to vote. What does, I mean, what can, what, even though we're electing younger, electing first time, um, we're rejecting career politicians, even though we're going to lose, you know, that intellectual capital. Yeah. But, yeah. but at the same time, how can we encourage our young people to get out and vote? That's a challenge. I, I, when I was speaking with the young Blacks of Ohio, young uh, Black and Brown uh, leaders of Ohio, they're struggling with the same thing. So what we're seeing and what I'm offering to those young folks, we have to recruit individuals young, but you also have to prepare them and make sure that they are prepared to be leaders in the community. What do they bring to the community? So when you look at all of the newly elected, can, uh, elected officials, most of them had served and were engaged specifically in their neighborhoods before they decided to run. But you also have to be able to educate and prepare our youth, our youth for taking moving forward and becoming an elected official. And we've got programs in Ohio called Ohio Leads that uh, if you, for example, Andre, if you were thinking about wanting to run for office or wanted to run a campaign, uh, this program is, is available and is sponsored by ODP to help teach, train, and educate individuals to run or to run campaigns to get individuals elected. Well, I mean, that, that's something to look at. I mean, because it's, it's going into the midterm election, elections, especially since a number of issues that Biden campaigned on and now are stalled in the Senate. Mm -hmm. What does that say to the Black community? Who got him there? And, right. you right. know, I mean, if he can't get this done, what does that say to all the Democrats that they need to step up and take a look, not just at what's going on in the rural areas and get out there and talk with, well, who's in the rural areas, but also the issues that need to be addressed in our cities, especially regarding people of color. If they're not being addressed, do you fear that one day the voters are going to reject everybody and, and take a stand and say, no, I'm not helping you? What I see, what my biggest fear is that we can't even get a higher turnout at a midterm election, and that what I'm seeing with the young people, which I keep saying, if we have, for example, individuals in the state of Ohio who are running for Senate, for Congress, 
Uh, if they're not doing the job, then you need to come forward and vote them out. You need to vote them out or stop complaining. You know, and that's one of the things that uh, President Obama said, vote, don't complain. So if we can educate them, I think so much focus right now, understandably why, but in Hamilton County, it's been the violence. So if violence is truly a concern, you've got to start working from a community-based perspective to encourage those individuals that live in those neighborhoods to take back their neighborhoods. And once you begin to see uh, perhaps some, some activity or action there, perhaps that can be uh, an injection of fresh air and people will want to get out and get more involved. But uh, Biden, is his hands are tied when you have a Congress and a Senate uh, like Mitch McConnell, who's doing everything and their goal, and we should educate our community, their goal is to block any initiatives, just as they did when President Obama stepped in, that he attempts to get so that doesn't mean the Democratic Party is weak. It means we have to become stronger. If we can't even get a voter's bill passed, we got a problem. Yeah, yeah, we do. We do. It seems that in many ways, what Donald Trump did, he seemed to have energized the electric, the people of color, to be more engaged and involved in the political spectrum. And even though the numbers aren't where we want, it seems everyone is stepping up to the plate because they don't want to see that happen again. Do you think that is true? I think it's true, but they also have to understand that the Trumpism folks are very adamant about wanting to make sure that they take back America, which means taking us backwards as Black folks. And uh, that's their goal. And they, they have this racist mentality as well. And you would think by listening and seeing and hearing some of these concerns that are being verbalized and seeing Mitch McConnell blocking any initiatives like the Family Leave Act and, and also trying to block voter voting rights, that that would be enough to fire us up. But we have, I don't understand it. <laughs> How concerned are you of, I know the Democrats is a nice mixture of, of society. But how concerned yeah. are you that there may be members of the Democratic Party who do not say it, but might side with what Trump is offering or speaking? Well, is, that, is, that, is that any indication of fear of moving the Democratic Party forward that that might occur or no? It's always a concern. And ever since, I mean, for those of us who understand, and I see it, and there's been a couple folks that were planted within the Democratic Party who were Democrats, and they sold their souls to the Republican Party, but they infiltrated the party, and they were attempting to uh, block any initiatives or even saying verbally, the Democratic Party is not doing what it's supposed to do. It's not working for Black people. It's not working for anybody. And what it is, is they're trying to infiltrate the party because the party is becoming stronger and they don't want to see that. So they'll find, and you've seen this, a couple of individuals who uh, have maybe been precinct execs. And when I came in as chair, those individuals, uh, I got them out. I couldn't get them out like I wanted to as quickly as I wanted to because they were elected. But once it came time for the reelection, we voted, we got them out. So you're always going to have, uh, and it, you know, it just kind of puts you, 
for me, when I look back in history as some of our history as black people, you, you're going to have some of those individuals that are, are going to be able to be manipulated by the Republican Party. And they think that it's not true. I mean, especially when you see individuals who, black folks, who supported Trump and believed everything Trump said about Obama, call, calling Obama not a real American citizen and trying to, to he wasn't born, his birthday was, was not true. And, and when you saw some of them actually buying into that, that's, that's frightening. Yeah. I mean, I, I've listened to talk radio and I've heard um, a number of people call the, uh, a variety of talk shows, both on the radio or on the um, on podcasts. And what comes out of their mouth is frightening. Where, what reality are you living in? You know, mm-hmm. it's frightening because mm-hmm. I understand people are fearful of the future, but at the same time, you have to step up and live your life the best way you can and pray that you, you know, don't believe all the garbage that's gushed out there. The, 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 the lies, the theories, uh, the fake theories, and even to the point that when you look at those individuals who are cult-like in mentality that still believe that the election was rigged and you see the people who are still standing up and supporting them, that, that's frightening. I mean, it's, it's frightening the fact that, you know, there are a lot of people who don't want the truth of January 6th to come out. The only right. good news mm-hmm. I can say about January 6th is that if that had been a group of Black people doing that, we would <laughs> not have an issue about conviction and going to jail and things like that. Mm-hmm. January 6th was horrible. It should not have happened. Um, I mean, I watched it unfold and I was like, what the heck is going on? And you know, more and more is coming out every single day of what happened behind the scenes and who was orchestrating mm-hmm. this. And but the fact that people are believing it, I don't understand. But you know, that's everyone has to believe what they believe. Oh, no, if I can play devil's advocate here for a second, I think I think I understand where some Trump voters are coming from because they're tired of the same politicians winning every time. I think they're tired of the establishment. So I think that's why they gravitated towards Trump the first time, even though I, I think Trump is an idiot, but I can see where they're coming from the first time. But now I just don't understand where you know the Trump voters are coming from. I mean, just yesterday, or I think it might have been the day before, you had people, well, you had some people in the Republican Party, their minds were taken over by QAnon, which I totally don't get at all because they're convinced that JFK Jr. is still alive and that he was going to make his miraculous return, you know, in Dallas yesterday. So what? <laughs> did you not hear about that? No. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. It was, I think it was, I think, I'm pretty sure it was either yesterday. Yeah, it was yesterday around 1230, right around the timing of the Kennedy assassination, QAnon crowd, they were super bummed that JFK Jr. did not appear in Dallas. They, there were hundreds of QAnon followers that were there yesterday they actually believed i did not they, hear that yes they, oh. actually, they actually believed that jfk jr was going to appear there and that he was going to be vice president for trump <laughs> i oh wish i wish i could make this stuff up i wish i could i well it's it's almost like the fact that what we saw with the insurrection 
Uh, you you couldn't believe what you were seeing and you couldn't believe what you were hearing. And when you, one of the things, and I'm sure you all know this very well, when you leave like the city of Cincinnati or Hamilton County, you start penetrating out into the rural areas. You have to look at the the type of uh, communication, uh, what type of media is most likely out in those areas. It's all one-sided. So, and, and not only that, when you look at the goal has been to penetrate uh, even those individuals that go to college and taking some of these classes that help in your in a very subtle way to, to skew the data to make it look like what they want it to look like. So we're under, we really are under attack by this movement and black folks need to become more educated and aware of what it's doing to our, our black communities as well as a whole. I think another problem is also that people just don't want to compromise because, you know, obviously Joe Biden was not my first choice for the Democratic mm-hmm. you know, uh, primary. It was Bernie Sanders. But like I said, mm-hmm. Bernie, Fan- Bernie Sanders, he, he didn't make it. So I went with Joe Biden because sometimes in life you just have to compromise. And I think some people just don't mm-hmm. want to compromise, but that's just part of being an adult. Mm-hmm. You have to compromise. Mm-hmm. And also, mm-hmm. I think people just want to live in their own echo chamber. And I've seen that a lot in Twitter. You know, you know, you've got liberal people on Twitter in their own echo chamber, and you got conservative people on Twitter live in their own echo chamber. They don't want to reach out to the other side. Like I tend to follow liberals and conservative sides of Twitter. Now, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, the conservative side is a little bit more crazier than the liberal side, but I've seen some liberal people on Twitter that are like super, super extreme. But I think those are two recurring problems that are just, you know, continuing to divide voters and are probably alienating voters too, like to the point where they only want to come out and vote. That's just my two cents. Well, you know, yesterday we had two incidents where a voter, poll worker voter, was verbally threatened by a Republican with a gun and threatening to hurt that person. Oh, my God. This is in Hamilton County. This oh was God. two incidents yesterday. So oh, I heard about the one. Okay. There were two. Okay. Uh, so when you see these things, and someone said to me yesterday, "What do you think about this?" And I said, "The verbal, the verb, the verbal language that what these individuals say, we get that all frequently at the Hamilton County Democratic Party with threats. But the threats, there has to be a certain amount of detail in a threat before you can do something about it. But when a person points a gun at you," I don't know, and threatens you that way, I don't know how much detail you need. I mean, that's enough. So it's a matter of we're still trying to locate this person, but the woman was so frightened that she couldn't remember much, you know, and yet, uh, so you're seeing this here locally. So so we've got that going on and plus the violence that we're seeing in our city. That's a lot. And I think that overwhelms people after a period of time on top of the pandemic. Perhaps that's why uh, we're seeing a uh, less low voter turnout. There's just more apathy, but that's where they want to put us. And also, don't forget, I think a big thing in voter apathy is misinformation. Misinformation has infected social media 
Facebook is the biggest you know, thing that's causing misinformation and everything. And speaking of misinformation, I just wanna bring up um, one of the um, city council candidates, Brian Gary, uh, about his little um, misinformation thing uh, real quick. Gwen, can you elaborate on that? Well, you know, I think that it wasn't, I think there were more people involved than just Brian Gary. There's some evidence to indicate clearly that he was not the only one distributing that fake Democratic slate ballot. But I think he's the one that whomever it was that, and I don't think it was just his campaign that initiated it, but there's, that takes some deeper diving you know, that we're looking at. But I, I'm, I was amazed. I was disappointed. I was horrified that Brian would go low like that. I don't know what precipitated that with him. I don't, that's why I think there was probably more people involved than just he. We're still exploring that and looking at that, but he find, he admitted it on Facebook that he did. But then when I had a press conference uh, and gave the facts out, he tried because then he had a, met with the uh, reporters and he said that at first he said he didn't do it, but then he said, well, maybe I only did five or six, but there were, there were a couple of other, some other people involved with that too. And so we're looking at possibly what, why he did this. That, that is a shame. And also, just to touch back on misinformation, I think as long as social media exists, misinformation will always be there. So I think the best thing to do is, like, people really need to fact check, you know, where they get yeah. their stuff from and not just provide mm -hmm. memes, you know, in response to arguments. I was just like, you just found that on the internet. Did you do any fact checking at all? And I know everyone doesn't have time to do fact checking because it, you know it's it's a long, it's a long process. But I just think people need to do better, you know, when researching stuff. It's like it's really a shame. It's a and what really blew the whistle is there were some people who knew what the original the original blue slate card looked like. And they said, oh, no, this is not the one that we've been seeing. So I started getting calls at 9 o'clock in the morning yesterday, all day, about these, these, this, this slate, this fake slate card. And finally, uh, when we were able to identify the source, we were able to put a stop to it, but there were still, but the fact that that attempt was made, and I just, I think there were more people involved than, than Brian Gary. It's sad that Brian has done so much in the community that, mm -hmm. and he has suffered a couple of blows during the campaign of various yes, issues, he has. But, still, but still he was coming out strong. You know, just, he seemed a viable candidate, but for this to happen is just disappointing in him. Uh, I think there's more to it. Um, it's yet to be determined, but I agree with you. It's, 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 and you know, we are, and, and this is really important as well, we all want to get elected officials who don't use cheap tricks to try to get elected. When you use cheap tricks to try to get elected, then what does that say about your integrity? What does that say about your honesty, your temperament? Um, what kind of an elected official would you become? One that's corrupt because you're already developing and, and demonstrating a com corrupt behavior. That's the last thing we want to see continuing to be at our local government, in the city, city hall, in the courthouse, and in the state house. So uh, 
you know, it's sad, but it's happened. Yeah. And uh, I think we're going to wrap up here uh, today. I want to thank you, Andrea, for uh, contributing to the today's show. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. And I'm just glad that Gwen was able to come on and give oh, us I'm, some great I'm, insight. And we need shows like yours. We need podcasts like yours to to provide the data, the facts, and not all of these critical theories that are false, that tend to uh, confuse our voters, our community. And uh, it's your programs that are I, that are so beneficial. So thank you so much for allowing me to be part of this brilliant discussion this evening. Oh, thank you, Gwen. And you know you'll be back. So, you know, maybe <laughs> when, when when we get when we gear up for um, I guess next year, the next political season, we'll have you back to talk about what to expect um for 2022. So gotcha. Thank you so much. Thank have you. Have a great evening, you all. Yes, thank you so much. And you can find out more information about today's topics and past podcast episodes at www.thesensiherald.com, the SESH newsletter, and on our social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Audible, and TuneIn Radio. So I'm John Alexander Reese, and have a good day.